because it's Advent, we are now starting a new sermon uh, series. We're going to be talking about what child is this? So from the famous Christmas carol, what child uh, is this? And I think that's the question that our culture is asking right now. I hope they're asking uh, as it's the Christmas season. Who is this baby that the whole world basically celebrates during this season? Uh, Who is this infant in a manger that the whole world turns their attention to? And really, as we know, it's God come to us and the person of his son Jesus entering into our world and becoming known even to our senses. Uh, You think about it. Everything we know, we know through our our senses. Uh, We know through sight and, and hearing and smell and touch. And what am I missing? Taste, uh, taste, right? That's how we know everything. Um, and our, our senses can be misleading. In fact, over this last year, we've had these, these two, uh, two examples of this. Um, so go ahead and uh, throw the first one up there. Uh, let me ask you, if you haven't seen, maybe you guys have seen this. Um, but what color is this dress? Ready? Oh, we don't have it. Never mind. We don't have either one of them. Okay, all right, well, I'll have to just describe it. So there's this dress that comes out, and, and half of the people seem to see it as a, a blue a dress, and half of the people see it as a white and gold version, and everybody sort of debates, and we have our senses that say, seem to say one thing or the other. And then we have uh, this audio version. You say, well, that's sight, color. Everybody's different with different colors. And then there was that audio version, you remember, where half the people hear the name Yanni, and half the people hear the name Laurel. It's the same audio recording. So even our senses at times can sort of mislead us. But that being said, that's all we got. <laughs> that's how we experience everything. There, there's no other way really to experience them through our senses. That's the way we look at the world. Uh, even the whole idea of science, when you think about it, science is the study of the universe around us through our senses. Where we're trying to look at, see what we look at and, and study it. We're trying to touch things and hear things and sort of evaluate them based on what we experience through our senses. So what what does that do when it comes to God who is an eternal spirit far and infinitely beyond anything we can touch or see or smell or hear or taste? Well, what if God chooses to enter into our world and speak our language and be seen with our eyes and touched with our hands. That's what Christmas is all about. God showing up and revealing himself into our world to bring us into fellowship and into joy with him. Look with me at 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. 1 John 1, 1 through 4. There is an outline in your bulletin if you're someone who likes to sort of see where we're going, if you like to take notes and um, feel free to open up there. We'll have the words on the screen, but there are Bibles in the pew as well. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1-4. through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, 
so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. God has come into our world to bring fellowship and joy. If you look with me at verses 1 and 2, God wants to be known. And He wants to be known in person. He describes here that which was from the beginning. Now what is he referring to when he says that which was from the beginning? Well, he kind of explains it a little more at the end of verse 2. The word of life. uh, The revelation of who God is. Uh, God, again, is is an infinite spirit. Uh, He's not part of our universe. He's eternal and he created all things. And yet he's saying God, that who was from the beginning, his revelation of himself, we have heard it. We have seen it. We have touched it. And he's talking, of course, about the incarnation of Jesus. That the Logos, the Word of God, has been born and has come in the flesh. Uh, John, of course, was an apostle. uh, One of Jesus' closest apostles. Uh, So Jesus had 12 apostles. One of them them was a traitor, as we know. Uh, Three of them were in a particularly close relationship with him. Peter, James, and and John. John had that close relationship with him. And he's the only one, according to church tradition, that was not martyred. He actually died of natural causes. He died of, of old age. Something began to break down in his body like it does to all of us. And he eventually passed away. And he's here telling this church. He's got a sort of pastoral role now over this church. And he's saying, I've seen Jesus with my own eyes. I've watched him do his miracles. I've, I've looked into his eyes as he was speaking to me in conversation. I've seen his hands and his feet. I've seen his hands and his feet after the resurrection with the nail marks in them. I've heard him. I've listened. I've heard the sound of his voice. I know what he sounds like when he's angry and he's overturning the tables. I know what his laugh sounds like. I know what he sounds like when he's explaining and teaching to us the meaning of the the Hebrew scriptures. I've touched him. I've I've held him with my own hands. I've put my hand on his shoulder. He's put his hand on mine. I know this Jesus personally because he's entered our world. The eternal life. Look at verse 2. The life was made manifest, made clear, and we have seen it and we testify to you and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father. So the eternal life is another name, in a sense, for Jesus and was made manifest to us. When you think about it, friends, what is the the most common, perhaps, uh, or difficulty when it comes to knowing God? Uh, It's that he's so distant, (laughs) He's so far away. He's so far beyond us. I mean, we can't comprehend him. We can't see him. What does God look like? He doesn't look like anything in this world. He's nothing physical. What what does his voice sound like? Well, it sounds like anything he wants to reveal it as to us, I suppose. But we don't have a specific sound. What does God feel like? Well, he's, he's, again, he's spirit. He's not not made out of matter and atoms and molecules like we are. He's so distant. And yet here, Jesus brings God to us to be seen and touched and heard. Think about it, friends. If, if you wanted to know somebody who lives really far away, really far away. So this coming May, Lord willing, I'm going to be going to China. 
Uh, so imagine you want to know somebody from China. Well, you could sort of call them on the phone and you could sort of maybe, you know, video conference them and uh, get, try to get to know them. But if you really want to know them, one of you has got to get on a plane and fly to the other place and actually spend some time with the person. That's the only way it's really going to happen. For me, it's, I'm, I'm going to be flying there and getting to know some folks, some pastors and so forth there. That's what God has done for us. God crossed not just the Atlantic Ocean or the Pacific Ocean. Uh, he crossed something infinitely further away. He crossed the gap between eternal God and mortal temporary man and entered our world so that he could know us. Think about it, friends. This is what Hebrews says. Uh, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So we do have the Torah. We do have the prophets. We have the Old Testament. God has been revealing himself again and again. He's always wanted to show himself to us. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So Jesus is, in a sense, the ultimate revelation of God, God's ultimate way of showing himself to us. Uh, friends, behind this is the idea that God wants to be known. Uh, if we think, you know, I'm always listening, but I just can't hear the voice of God. You got it backwards. God is always speaking. In fact, he's speaking abundantly through the scriptures and through his son, and we're just not always listening very well. It's the opposite of what you think. If God didn't want to be made known, we would never know him. Uh, We can't study God like we do anything else. He's the superior. We are the inferior. He would disappear and no one would have any trace of him whatsoever. But if God wants to be known, then he comes to us and reveals himself in ways that we can comprehend. God loves us enough that he wants us as his people to know him more. And he enters our world so that we could do so. He becomes subject to the physical world that we live in and can be seen and and touched and smelt and heard. God wants to be known. And why did he do this? What was the purpose of it? Look with me at verse 3. He did it because he wants fellowship with us. He wants us to have fellowship with himself. That which we have seen and heard, again, this is John speaking, what we have experienced ourselves as he walked with Jesus for this three-year ministry. John probably knew Jesus even before that three-year ministry, but particularly walking with Jesus for three years, that we now proclaim also to you. So John's saying, what I've experienced, I want you to know as well. Now you say, well, I haven't seen Jesus. I don't know exactly what he looks like. I'm not sure, uh, you know, what what he's like. But he's saying, I want you to know that. I want you to know that God is made clear and visible like us. And when you think about our culture, friends, when, you think, when they think about God, what comes to mind? Maybe this sort of old man with a big flowing beard, right? <laughs> That's the, we really know, though. But everybody knows about Jesus. I mean, it, it, it's so tangible. Even if you ask somebody, what year is it? They would say, uh, it's 2018, just about ready to be 2019. Well, 2018 years from when? And people will say, well, since the birth of Jesus, right? That's how we account the very years we, 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 we account. If somebody said, you know, so-and-so lives 700 B.C., 700 years before what? Before the birth of Jesus. Everybody sort of knows he, he's made God understandable, in a sense. Uh, even when you think about Christmas, our whole culture knows what Christmas is, right? If you ask anybody in the street, are you going to celebrate Christmas this year? Yeah, sure. What is Christmas? They'll say, oh, you know, we 
celebrate the birth of Jesus. Everybody understands that. What's Easter? To celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And God, in a sense, is made known. Even in our artwork, we, we show Jesus. I got a picture. Uh, I think we got this one. Yeah, okay. So if I show this to anybody on the street, somebody who never grew up in a church, never been, uh, never stepped in the, the four walls of a church building, and I said, who is this? Almost anyone would say, it's Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that's exactly what Jesus looked like, because <laughs> we really don't know what he looked like, but nevertheless, we know that Jesus was a man like us. He was knowable. And here, John is saying, I want you to know this Jesus, whom I've experienced as well. I proclaim him to you. And for what reason? Look at verse 3. So that. When you see the words so that, that's explaining the purpose of something. Uh, this is why this has happened. This is why I've proclaimed it to you, that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. Uh, fellowship is a big deal. John is saying the purpose, part of the very purpose of Jesus entering into our world, the very reason why he took on flesh and came into a manger like the one behind us and became subject to the world around us is so that we might have fellowship with God. That we could know him and enjoy him and be in relationship with him. What God is looking for in us is people that love him, enjoy relationship with him, and know him more. And not only that, he says, they became, have fellowship with each other. Notice that. He says, I want you to have fellowship with me. Our fellowship with one another comes ultimately from our fellowship with God. If we know God in relationship, and I, I know God in relationship, and you know God and deeply in a relationship with him, then we are now in fellowship with one another. A fellowship is, is not just some side issue that we enjoy. You know, the church is not just something that God sort of threw in as the icing on the cake. Our fellowship with one another is part of how we know God more. God wants to be known, and He wants to be known relationally with us. And He does the impossible to do when He enters our world and brings us into fellowship with Him. After the, uh, the sermon, we're going to be celebrating communion, which is another way of God revealing himself in a tangible, touchable, tasteable way. And what do we celebrate in communion? First and foremost, our communion with God, our relationship vertically with him. But also, communion is not something you do by yourself. It's something you do with a church family. We celebrate our communion with one another. So how do you know God? Well, first thing you need to do to know God is... To turn to his son Jesus as Savior and Lord. As I said, this is the means that God has given us in order for us to know him in relationship. Outside of Christ, God is just a distant spirit. He's the eternal creator. Revealed in creation, certainly, and what he's made. The beauty of the sky and the the beauty of the forests and mountains and all that. Uh, And he's revealed himself as, as our image bearers, so we have our sense of right and wrong. But beyond that, God is mysterious. But in Jesus, as Savior and Lord, we begin this relationship. So, if you've never come to faith in Christ, you've never actually given your life to Him as Savior and Lord, that's where it begins. (laughs) That's where fellowship with God starts. When we turn to Him in faith, turning from our sin, turning to Him as Savior, and trusting in Him. And then from there, what do we do? We continue to grow in relationship with Him. We walk with the Lord. Uh, We walk in the truth of the gospel. Uh, We certainly... Communicate with God. That's what prayer is. We read the scriptures to understand the Bible and to know it more. 
And more than that, we proclaim it, as John is saying. Uh, This is just too good to keep to ourselves. Uh, This is not something John's saying, I got to walk with Jesus for three years. I'm going to keep that in the memory and just enjoy that until the day I pass away. He's saying, no, since Jesus has been ascended, I've been proclaiming this so that others could know him as well. This is a message for everyone. So encouraged by yesterday. Uh, As we said, part of the focus of yesterday wasn't just for us as a church to come together. Oh, that was part of it. It was for us to serve our community. And I think that uh, as more more and more conversations I'm having with people, God seems to be putting the same thing on on people's hearts. We need to be more of a presence in our community. Uh, We need to be more, more than just fellowship upward with God, which is essential and glorious. But we also need to encourage others into fellowship with God. We need to do what John is doing and to say, God loves you. He's revealed himself in his son. He wants a relationship with you. Here's the message of salvation. Come to know him and enjoy him. God welcomes us to eternal fellowship with himself. Even as God in his very being enjoys fellowship. Uh, Do you know that God doesn't need us? Uh, sometimes we think, well, God would be so lonely without us. No, not at all. God was not sitting in heaven and saying, you know what, I'm tired of, for the last few trillion years, sitting here by myself, I need a friend. That's, that's not how God created us. God doesn't need us at all, because God is triune, and he enjoys fellowship with himself forever. So why did he create us then? What was the purpose of making us? Why didn't he just exist forever in perfection? And the answer we get from the scripture is very clear. He did it out of love for us. He did it out of a desire for his own glory and making people who would reflect his image. So he did it so that we would experience and enjoy his love. As God wants us to have fellowship with him, it brings him glory. In fact, he would go all the way, not just across the Atlantic Ocean, he'd go across eternity to bring us into that fellowship. And then we come, thirdly, Our joy is completed by God in others. Verse 4. John writes, And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Uh, John sees joy, the Apostle John sees joy as so important, it's going to be right here in the prologue, in the beginning of his letter. And that he's after, what he's after is not just a low sort of style of joy, but complete joy. That's what he wants. He wants joy that's overflowing. In fact, John talks about joy a lot. He talks about it in all three of his letters. He wrote three of these letters. Uh, this one was, I think, the first one. But in the second two, uh, he writes these letters as a, a way of encouraging the churches. And he talks about joy in all of them. And really, in each of them, joy is the same thing. It comes from this fellowship with God and with each other. Second John, verse 12 says, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. Similar language. Joy becomes completed, not just from a relationship with God, but then a relationship with one another. And then third John, verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So as a, an elderly pastoral figure for the churches, what he's saying is, when I hear that people are walking in the truth of the gospel, I like that. You don't just believe the truth for John. <laughs> you walk in it. <laughs> it's, not just, it's not just head knowledge. It's something you live out. When I hear my children walking in the truth, that's what brings me joy. Friends, what is joy? <laughs> Uh, John, as this letter writer, he wants his people to have joy. Well, God, joy is to experience God in fellowship and to experience fellowship with one another. That's where joy comes from. 
I, I mentioned last week, or two weeks ago, uh, Mitch preached for me last week. And uh, thank you, Mitch. I heard Mitch was really funny. So, which he said a new comedic high for me, Mitch. I'm not going to be able to live, live up to, sorry. Uh, I'm not just not as funny as Mitch. So, but, um, but, uh, so two weeks ago, uh, I mentioned that at Bradford Christian Academy, I had the opportunity to give their... Uh, Give it a little chapel, and I was thinking, what do I say to teenagers? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I have two teenagers, but I, I don't know how to relate to them. And I talked about joy. I talked about happiness because I thought I remembered back to when I was a teenager, and I remembered I wanted more than anything else. I wanted to be happy. That's it. And I think that's that's true not just of teenagers. It's true of all of us. All of us want to be happy. We seek it in different ways. In fact, Pascal, the famous scientist, said, "All people seek happiness." It's the end of every man in everything we do and every action that we take. Even those who go to war or those who stay home. They're doing it for the same motive. And he said, even those who hang themselves. Every action we do is a desire to receive happiness. And friends, we sometimes seek it in sinful ways, don't we? Uh, we seek happiness in an addiction. We think, why do people turn to alcohol and drugs? And pornography and all these things. Why? Because they think it will bring them happiness. Even though it never does. Why do people live for possessions and money and greed and think the next million, the next amount will be what will bring me what? Make me truly happy. Well, then I'll be, then I'll have finally arrived. Everyone seeks true joy. But where does that joy come from? John tells us the secret of joy comes from fellowship with our Creator, and with one another. I mean, think about Christmas. Uh, Christmas is the season of joy, isn't it? I mean, that's, tis the season to be jolly, right? We sing joy to the world, or the most wonderful time of the year. And uh, this is the time to be joyful. That's good. I mean, that's, obviously, it's a good thing. We're created to be joyful creatures. Now, here's the thing, though, I think, that our, the problem that our culture makes is that it oftentimes wants to divorce this pursuit of joy from God. Uh, and think we can still somehow get there. Uh, I'll give you uh, three examples. Uh, the first one is Santa. And uh, I used to be pretty skeptical of the old guy. Uh, I like him now. Actually, I do. I like, I like Santa. I think he's a good guy. I think the idea of, of, this, you know, of having a great imagination, it's, it's all good. But here's the limitation of Santa. There's no Jesus with Santa, right? If you're good, you get rewarded. If you're bad, you get punished. Where's grace? Where's forgiveness? Where's the Savior? Who transforms. That's the heart of Christmas itself. Our second one would be Hallmark movies. Let's be honest here. How many people like Hallmark movies? Be honest, be honest. Okay, good. A lot of folks. I don't, but my wife does. So I, they're on, on, on the house all the time. And again, they're about love, they're about joy, they're about celebrating the season. All that stuff is good stuff. But how often, be honest, do they ever talk about Jesus in a Hallmark movie? Almost never. Maybe you remember a couple of them that they actually do. Very, very seldom. And the third one is, this one hits closer to home because I love Dickens. Charles Dickens is the Christmas Carol and, and the story of Scrooge. And I got a picture of this. This is uh, actually from, you can kind of maybe barely see it, but this is from a, a first edition of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. That's when Jacob Marley visits Scrooge for the first time. And you know the story of Scrooge. He's pursued his money and greed and, and selfishness. 
And Marley tells him, the love of man, the love of your fellow human being should have been your business. That's what we should have been pursuing. And at the end, what happens to Scrooge? He's radically transformed and he's generous and he's kind and he's loving. And all that's great. And Dickens was a a Christian in a general sense. But again, no talk about Jesus. And what I would say about all this is it's great in one sense. But it's divorcing us from the very thing that brings true and eternal and lasting joy which is God himself. Yes, fellowship is important, but do we have fellowship with our creator, the very purpose for which Jesus came? As the scriptures, as it's been commonly said, there is a God-shaped hole in our soul. And we try to fill it with everything we can, right? We try to fill it with money. We try to fill it with promiscuity. We try to fill it maybe with an addiction or whatever it is. We think that's what's going to finally fill up this God-shaped hole. But we're created with this hole because God himself is the one who belongs in there. And he's the one who satisfies that eternal desire and that longing. Or as Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. John is saying, I want you to have complete joy. And only that, I want to have complete joy, he's saying. Our joy may be complete. And how is it completed? It's completed by this fellowship that we have with the Father and with His Son. And it's completed by the fellowship that we enjoy together as His people. I remember visiting, uh, I remember culture shock. Anyone ever experienced culture shock? It's, it's rough. Culture shock is rough. Uh, I, I uh, was in Nepal the first time. I went to Nepal. Is where I experienced it the worst, I think, in my life. I went there and I was in the airport and... Uh, People everywhere, language is totally different. People are different sort of customs. They're bumping into you and moving you around. And, um, and, it's, and it's just out of this world. It's a third world country. And I remember thinking, I want to go home. <laughs> Let's go back to the United States uh, the first time. And uh, it was, it's a bit overwhelming. And I don't know, I'm thinking, what am I doing here? I can't believe I just crossed an ocean to get here. Actually, I think even on the plane ride, there were some things that happened. Uh, but then when I was there... We finally met with the local Christians. And that changed everything. Those who were in fellowship with God, our Creator, and they knew Him as Savior and Lord, and I, as someone who believes in Jesus as Savior and Lord, that brought us together like nothing else. And I felt home. I felt comfortable. Because being with God's people is home, wherever that is on this planet that we live in. Joy comes from fellowship with God and with each other. Friends, this Christmas season, I hope we recognize the true heart and the meaning of Christmas. And the true heart and the meaning of Christmas is that God eternal revealed himself in the person of his son, came to be like us so that he could be seen and heard and touched, available to our senses so that we could enjoy fellowship and joy in him. What child is this? This is the Savior. This is the Lord who's come to us. That's what we tried to bring out last night with our live nativity. And uh, we're going to get some better pictures because that was from my camera zoomed in. It didn't, didn't turn out too great. But uh, jo- there's Joseph and Mary looking at the child. And I want to end with the, the, the lyrics to what child is this as we think about this and turn our attention to communion. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Whom angels greet with ansom sweet, while shepherds watch our keeping.
So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come peasant, king, to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. This, this is Christ the king, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. Oh, raise, raise a song on high. His mother sings her lullaby. Joy, oh joy, for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. Nails, spares, shall pierce him through. The cross he bore for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that you have not left us to ourselves, but that as your creatures made in the image of God, you loved us enough to come to us to cross a vast (laughs) gap of eternity, to enter into our world and be with us so that we could have fellowship with you, our maker. And that fellowship is not only with you, but with one another as your people. And Lord, that is the secret to true joy. And so thank you, Father. Even as we seek for this joy, we never get it in its completeness in this world but we seek for that joy to be complete in knowing you, our creator, finding our rest in you, and knowing one another as you've made us for each other as well to be in relationship with one another. So bring our hearts to worship. Bring our hearts to praise, Lord. And even as we celebrate communion, let's see with spiritual eyes what you have done for us to make us your own and to draw us into your presence forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.